0: From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, welcome to the Extra Credit Podcast, a weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Welcome back, first of all. It's good to have you back. It has been feels like it's been a while since we've done a podcast because it's been about three weeks yep. uh, since, we, uh, since we've since uh, we broken up the Getty uh, the and done a, a podcast here together. And a lot to catch up on this week. I mean, mid-July and yet a really... Busy, newsy, mid-July, and I thought we could start with where we were on Wednesday, both of us uh, sitting in on the legislature's Funding Formula Committee meeting. They're back. This is their third summer, and now it's really starting to get interesting, I think.
1: This was a, a packed meeting. Uh, so many important people were there for this meeting, uh, but after two years... Kind of a who's who in the audience.
0: I mean, you had, you know, obviously you had the lobbyists for the education groups. You had several legislators who are not even on the committee mm-hmm. sitting in listening, uh, Cindy Wilson, the uh, Democratic candidate for state superintendent, was there, as was Sherry Ibarra because she sits on the committee. I mean,
1: superintendents from the Fruitland and Boise and West Ada West school districts.
0: Tuna, I saw. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was kind of <laughs> like a reunion of sorts, but a lot of, a lot of scrutiny on this committee because they are going to make some really tough decisions and some really important recommendations here in the next few, month, few months. And I feel like we got a glimpse of what that might start to look like.
1: Yeah, we're talking about, after two years of sort of the warm-up, talking about rewriting Idaho's school funding formula, kind of a complicated formula that drives, at this point, uh, the expense of some $1.8 billion almost each year in general fund spending on public education. And they're talking about going to an enrollment, a student-based model, and they're talking about cutting out a lot of the line items uh, sort of the budget earmarks that mm-hmm. we know uh, that we see every year that people have fought hard to get in the budget um let's talk a little bit about we didn't talk about dollar amounts so much this week we'll we may get to that later we didn't talk about formula numbers but we talked about kind of concepts and priorities and some of these line items may well go away what does that right make? right i mean the two concepts that you you heard a lot on wednesday
0: were the concepts of what do you do with a per student funding formula how does that work I mean how does the math work and you know not every student has the same level of need so you might want to put more money into the early grades and high school where the cost of education is higher and the state kind of already does this already the question is do you keep doing it do you do more of that and then what do you do you put more money in for uh, students in poverty, uh, students who are at risk of falling behind, uh, English language learners, uh, students in special education programs. By the same token, do you put more money in for gifted and talented students? Those are all decisions that the committee is going to have to wrestle with in, in the months to come. That's a math issue in and of itself that they didn't talk about very much in the committee. But what I thought was interesting is that whole thing about the line items. The consultant's for Education Commission of the States presented sort of a menu of, you know, let's run the numbers, let's do a computer model, and let's take some of these line items and just put the money back into the the new funding formula, whatever that looks like, but let's also keep some of these line items out of the formula. In other words, keep funding them like we're doing. That becomes a really tough process and and you could kind of see a little bit the legislators sort of wrestling with the pros and cons of that case in point you know there was talk about the career
1: ladder teacher pay was one of the most interesting discussions uh, that i heard during wednesday's meeting and and rightfully so we're coming into year five uh, of the state's five-year plan to invest in salaries particularly beginning teacher salaries uh, some 250 million dollars or so uh, in the program, that's the career ladder. But the consultants are recommending sort of discontinuing that after it's after it's fully right. uh, implemented right. this year. So this is the biggest line
0: item of the group by far. Uh, we're talking about $760 million put into the line item for for the career ladder for teacher salaries. Now that doesn't mean whatever you do, whether you keep the career ladder as a line item or not, That doesn't mean $760 million of teacher salary money goes away instantly. Let's be clear about that. The question is, do you set aside and dedicate $760 million or so every year for teacher salaries? Or do you plug all that money into the formula, let local administrators, uh, school superintendents, charter school administrators decide a little bit more about how to spend that money, knowing full well that that's still going to be the biggest expense for schools, you know, what, what happens then with that career ladder but you know this is the kind of question that this committee and ultimately the legislature is going to have to wrestle with with all of these line items do you set aside money for transportation and keep that as sort of its separate pod of money do you set aside money for computers for for technology in the classroom do you set aside for teacher training which has been a big issue in the past and that's been a contentious issue with the legislature? Do you set aside $15 million for the Advanced Opportunities Program? Consultants said, yeah, keep that. That's working. Don't put that $15 million into the formula. Leave that alone. Do you get rid of another program to get more kids, hopefully, to go to college? This College and Career Advising Program, that's a $9 million line item that the consultants are saying, you know, you could probably get rid of that and plug that $9 million back into the system. These are all political decisions for this committee and ultimately for the legislature. I thought, House Speaker Scott Bedke, who has a way sometimes of just kind of getting to the point in in sort of a dry, um, you know, whimsical way. It wasn't very whimsical on this one. He said, you know, all of these line items have political blood spilled over them. You know, they're they're here for a reason. We all somebody fought for all of these. And when you start to talk about getting rid of them, it becomes a political fight. You know, we were talking about it off air. It feels a little bit like the whole fight we've seen year after year over sales tax exemptions. You know, there's always a lot of talk in theory of, wow, we've got this complicated sales tax structure. we got all these exemptions and we're paying 6% sales tax on some things and no sales tax on others. Wouldn't it be nice, you know, as Brian Wilson would, would say, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if we could just get rid of all these exemptions and lower the tax rate, it's hard to do. And there's a reason the legislature's never done it, because whenever you start to talk about somebody's exemption, some group, some legislator, some lobbyist says, hey, wait a minute, that's a really important exemption. Leave that one alone. I wonder if we're going to see a little bit of that going on when we start to talk about these line items in education.
1: I think that's a real interesting observation. That's a real interesting point to look at. And when we talk about the school funding formula, it kind of comes back to a philosophy, doesn't it, Kevin? It's all about... How much freedom and how much flexibility and how much local control do right. you give the school districts? Here's a pot of money. You guys are the experts. You make the decisions on where it's needed most versus what oversight or what control does the legislature want to retain? And you talked about you know blood being spilled over these line items and that there's a reason in that these line items are in there and that people fought for them. A great example is the pot of money for teacher professional development right. training. We've seen senators kill a public school budget over a disagreement on proper levels of funding for teacher training mm-hmm. uh, and, and and marilyn whitney
0: the governor's uh education aide, kind of reminded the committee of that on wednesday and said you know there's a reason we put that line item in yeah. for professional development for teachers we wanted to make sure it was happening and we weren't sure it was happening otherwise so you know, it's a long way to go, and and it's worth emphasizing, and I tried to emphasize it in the story, and we need to emphasize it right here. No decisions have been made. Right. None of these line items are uh, being eliminated right now. It's a long way to go before this committee comes up with a set of recommendations. We'll watch very closely to see what recommendations they come up with and how closely they align with what the consultants have said, because consultants were pretty clear about what they think should stay and what should go. I they mean, played they, favorites for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, the old, you know, the cliche about picking winners and losers, when when it came down to the consultants looking at what was going on, taking what they were hearing from the public hearings and the focus groups last month, they made some pretty stark recommendations about here's something you ought to keep, here's something you might want to get rid of. Now it all falls to the legislature and it, starting with this committee. So interesting hearing on Wednesday, and I think it's just gonna get more interesting
1: and uh, maybe more contentious. And yeah, I, I think you're right. We have a couple of more meetings coming up. Uh, we're going to take some of these suggestions, and they were sort of working by consensus this week. It wasn't hard and fast motions or specific proposals. And so they're gonna take some of these things, sort of run them through the computer, run them through the simulator, and see what they come up with. But one important thing to talk about, they weren't really ever talking about funding levels. And the consultant from ECS used an analogy. He said, we're talking about uh, the plumbing. We're talking about the pipes. That's the formula. The water pressure, the water going through those pipes is the amount of funding. We haven't been asked to talk about that. So they're not talking about raising school funding. that That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the formula that drives how the money is sent to these 115 school districts and Forty some whatever charters, Uh, but stay tuned. Important stuff. But but make no mistake. I mean,
0: you can't really talk about the pipes without talking about the water supply. I mean, I keep. It's on everybody's mind. Yeah, I keep going back to the last time the state redid its funding formula, and we're talking about 1994. The state also put a lot more money into K twelve spending just to kind of smooth things over, just to kind of make sure that there were no, uh, you know, you know. Kind of smooth things over between the winners and losers, and even as we're talking about this new funding formula that this committee's talking about, we should have a, a hold harmless period. And that's not going to be years, free. and that ain't yeah, you know, that ain't free because you're going to set some money aside to make sure that you know district X or charter school Y doesn't take a big hit in funding right. all of a sudden. So that money's got to come from somewhere. So uh, stay tuned. This is uh, this is only three years in. It feels like it's only the start because now we're getting down to some some hard decisions.
1: Yeah, stay tuned in the next few months. We'll continue to cover it. If you need to get caught up, head on over to the homepage at www.idahoednews.org. Uh, as we speak Friday morning, it's one of our top stories on the homepage. And so you can check it out, get some reaction from lawmakers and find out a little bit more about what we're talking about. But that was far from the only story. I want to take you back to the beginning of this week. An <laughs> interesting report. Uh, released by U.S. News and World Report about college readiness in Idaho. And people can't stop talking about this, and they can't stop looking at the numbers and wondering where the numbers came from. But what did the report say, and and what do the numbers mean?
0: Yeah, this thing's taken on a a little bit of a life of its own these past few days. Last week, U.S. News and World Report uh, posted a story about college readiness, and they ranked the states in terms of college readiness, and Idaho ranked number five. And what U.S. News & World Report did was they looked at the percentage of students who hit the benchmark scores on either the SAT or the ACT, those Mm -hmm. benchmarks that the tests use to say, yeah, that kid's college-ready, that kid's got a a good chance of succeeding past high school. So all of a sudden, Idaho's got this top-five ranking. And, you know, let's face it, when we write about rankings in Idaho, it seems like a lot of times we're talking about being in the bottom 10 and and not the top 10. So you had... um, education leaders like uh, state superintendent Sherry Ibarra, Linda Clark, president of the state board of education, quick to, to jump on these numbers and say, this is great news. We're, we're really doing well. But like I say, the whole thing has taken on a life of its own because um, we've had several readers look at, well, how did U.S. News and World Report get this number, this, this 55.2% figure that, that they calculated as college ready? We did some research. Randy Schrader ran, uh, you know, ran some reports. I looked at some reports. We can't really figure out how they got to this fifty-five point two percent figure, and I write about that on my blog. Uh, we'll walk you through the numbers and explain what we know and what we don't know. And you know, let's first of all say, look, we reached out to U.S. News and World Report and their consultants and said, "Hey, can you explain this number?" Right. We haven't heard back. If we do hear back, we'll update. But right now. I can't tell you how they got to the 55.2% figure. I can't confirm it. I can't find a way to get the numbers to work anywhere near 55.2%. And, you know, as I stepped back and looked at the the ranking, even if that number is is accurate and scientific, and and I, I do trust that, you know, U.S. News and World Report's a reputable publication. They're, they're, they're not, uh, you know, you know, you know, they're, they're not fake news. They know what they're doing. So there's got to be some methodology that maybe I don't understand. But they also gave Idaho some pretty low rankings on education right. metrics. Low high school graduation rates. Very low college graduation rates. Uh, low pre-K participation, but no news there. We've talked about that at ad, ad infinitum about uh, Idaho's lack of pre-K offerings. So when you put it all together, the magazine ranked Idaho's education system kind of in the middle Sort of, uh, sort of middling, middle of the pack scores. You know, we just tried to break down this uh, college readiness number because there was so much buzz about it. Yeah. We just wanted to explain, here's what we know, here's what we don't know. Here is uh, the number in context. Um, you can read my story from Monday that try puts, tried to tries to put the ranking into some perspective. And then we had a follow-up blog on Thursday. So there's a lot there, a lot more... Than we're going to get to here in the podcast, but uh, one of those ranking stories that uh, we think we've put it to bed, but you never know. And, yeah. and like I say, if we if we do hear back and get some better explanation of where U.S. News and World Report got their numbers, we'll, uh, we'll pass that along.
1: Okay, sounds good. I wanted to ask you about one of the other stories that you worked on this week, actually another blog that you published, and it was about Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Yubara, and her attendance rate. State Board of Education meetings, and really everybody on the State Board's uh, attendance rates. And the reason this came up is uh, last month, uh, before my vacation, before the superintendent's vacation, there was a State Board of Education meeting in Idaho Falls, and these are often two-day meetings. And on the second day, uh, she missed it uh, to get ready to go on her vacation. Right. And so her opponent- one of several
0: yeah. board, meeting, board members who missed that meeting.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes those summer meetings can be a little slow, uh, but uh, not always. they yeah. always important stuff. I'm not trying to suggest that uh, important policy no, is they, not being No, they, they committed
0: some news in, in addition to you know the news about who was there and who wasn't. I mean, that
1: was yeah. a substantive Uh, uh Superintendent borrow's up for re-election this year. In November, she faces a Democratic challenger, Cindy Wilson, who sort of raised the issue about uh, superintendent. She called her, a, I believe, a no-show superintendent yes. and uh, talked about... Uh, her attendance at these meetings, and so you decided to work with Randy, uh, former school superintendent, our data analyst, and just find out just exactly uh, who attended how many meetings and and how it's gone over the last four years. What did you find out, Kevin?
0: Yeah, we just kind of wanted to fact check it. If if this is going to be a campaign issue, we think we owed it to readers and to both candidates to uh, look at the numbers and see what the numbers had to say. So what Randy did was he looked at the minutes from every state board meeting since Sherry Barra was elected and began her term in twenty fifteen, so we're talking about fifty nine state board meetings, regular meetings like the one in Idaho Falls, where the whole board tends to go to a college campus and take uh, take on a lot of different issues. Those meetings, several of those a year, are you know run usually two days. State board also has a lot of special meetings, uh-huh. um, especially during the legislative session when they uh, have to you know, decide whether they're going to take a position on a piece of legislation. Sometimes uh, take uh, take on some, you know, emerging issues in a special meeting. Last week, the uh, state board had a two-hour executive session to talk about uh, a personnel matter at the University of Idaho. They took no action. We don't really know what the, uh, what the personnel issue is that they talked about. Uh, a lot of speculation that it may have to do with uh, Athletic Director Rob Spear. But th- anyway... 59 meetings of the state board and Randy looked at the minutes to figure out who was there and who wasn't there. What we found out was that uh, Shari Barra has missed 12 of those 59 meetings, so her attendance rate a little bit south of 80%. It's the second lowest attendance rate of the board members. Andy Scoggin of Boise had the lowest attendance rate. On the other end of the scale, uh, Don Saltman. Uh, every meeting. Every 59 meeting. out of 59. 59 for 59. Gold star for Don Saltman. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not mocking it. I mean, that's, you know, he, that's he's awesome. obviously an appointee taking the uh, appointment uh, to heart. A lot of these special meetings, um, members attend or participate by phone. I mean, Don Saltman lives 500 miles from the State House, so he's, he's not coming to every special meeting in person, nor should he have to. I mean, that's what technology is there for, for these things. So it's open to any board member to to literally phone in and participate by telephone. So we wanted to look at the attendance numbers and, and just kind of quantify what the numbers say behind the political claims. And, and we would have done this blog one way or the other if, you know, regardless of what we found out about uh, Superintendent Ibarra's right. attendance rate. Either way. It was newsworthy so we've got the table you can see how the eight board members stack up in terms of attendance rates uh we did get a comment from from the Abara camp after we as we posted and as we compiled the numbers so go
1: to my blog at IdahoNews.org and check that out yeah and if you do attend by phone that counts as attending that counts as full yeah, right. attendance I so mean, if you dial we in want to in in participate
0: your you're getting the participation rates because the state board minutes they do not differentiate between whether right. somebody is there in person or by phone, or if it does, really it doesn't matter in Both terms of, uh, of the calculations we did. We wanted to get a participation rate. So check that out. Uh, we've got the numbers and the reaction uh, on my blog. Okay, that
1: sounds good. Uh, let's talk about the big check presentation that Speaking I caught in numbers earlier in the and week. And
0: something that uh, the governor was there, State Superintendent Ibarra was there, uh, a big check uh, from the lottery. Uh, going to public schools.
1: Uh. Kind of a summer tradition at this point. The Idaho Lottery presents its annual dividend check uh, to the State Department of Education and to the Permanent Building Fund as well. This year there was a record uh, a record dividend, $33.5 million almost is going to be heading uh, to the Department of Education for, school, uh, for Schools for education purposes. Both Governor Otter and Superintendent Ibarra we're very excited about this, and it was a new record, and they said there was interest in the some of those lotto games with the big jackpots, is what they said was one of the reasons for uh, the big dividend. But uh, just to put it in context, right. they can't use this money for teacher pay, right, Kevin? Right, right. I mean, this has always been
0: earmarked towards building projects, towards uh, one-time needs. So when we talk about that big pot of money, when we talk about that funding formula like we did at the outset, the lottery is kind of its own thing. And... It's outside of that general fund, and it's really earmarked to, you know, to building projects, to, you know, building renovations, whether it's like a new parking lot or what have you at a school. That's what it's always been used for, and that's always been always been the intent.
1: Yeah, and so uh, that's what it goes for. It also helps out smaller rural school districts with their bond mm-hmm. uh, issues to the bond levy equalization program, and it does cons- uh, correspond to about two percent of the overall public school budget. So a big record this year, everybody was happy about it, but it is, just keep in mind, about 2% of the budget and it goes to very specific one-time Uh, infrastructure and building projects. The example the superintendent gave uh, maybe building uh, some new walls to have a quieter place to do some testing or upgrading Mm -hmm. like uh, fire suppression equipment or some sort of infrastructure or something along those lines would be uh, some potential examples but everybody seemed pretty happy with it. Right
0: and we always emphasize the context not to diminish you know 33.5 million, you know that's not a small amount of money and it's gonna you know cover some projects all over the state but I think invariably, ever since the state established the lottery, there's this sort of sentiment uh, that some people have that, well, isn't this solving all of the education funding issues? No, no, it's not. And it was never intended to. So try to keep that into try to keep that in context.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: One other story that we can and we can actually finally uh, tie a bow around this one and call it good. uh, The New Plymouth School District, Uh, the board met recently Uh, They did hire a superintendent. No big surprise about the hire itself, but maybe the the news here was that the the district did a do-over.
1: It was all about the process for us, Kevin, and so uh, what happened was last week the New Plymouth School Board uh, met and announced that they had uh, violated the Idaho Open Meeting Law during a meeting in June when they had originally uh, hired new superintendent David Satotu. Uh, The Idaho Open Meeting Law requires that government agencies and school boards conduct their business in public. And it also requires that those government agencies and school boards notify the public of what they're going to do through an agenda that has specific items of business listed. So that you can look
0: at the meeting minutes ahead of time, the meeting agenda ahead of time, I meant to say. You can look at it as a taxpayer, as a patron, and say, hey, I'm interested in that. I may want to go to that meeting and check that out. Or, eh, this looks pretty routine. I'm not going to show up. You shouldn't have to go to every school board meeting to stay informed about what your district is up to. That's why the minute, that's why
1: the agenda ahead of time is so important. And so they did not list uh, at that June meeting. They did not list anything on the agenda saying that they would be discussing a new superintendent, discussing a superintendent's vacancy, considering a personnel hire. There was none of that on there. And so Idaho Education News, through our attorney, actually filed a complaint. I believe the Payette and Jim County Prosecutor's Office alleging that a violation had taken place. Uh, Fast forward to last week, the board acknowledged that a violation took place, and they did a do-over, as you alluded Mm -hmm. to kind of in the the introduction here. Which the law allows them to do. That's a real common way, actually, for school boards or city councils to address an open meeting concern. Uh, What they'll do is they'll void everything from the previous meeting, Uh, They'll post a new agenda with timely notice, and then they'll go back through and they'll consider those things one by one, out in the light of day, in the sunshine, so to speak. Uh, And that's what we were after. It it wasn't a complaint about who was hired. Uh, I had never met that superintendent or talked to him before. I don't know anything about him. It wasn't about the individual they hired. It was all about the process and holding a school board accountable for transparency and adherence to... State law and a pretty important decision. Point. Right. And the process is so important
0: when you're talking about hiring a, a school superintendent. That's a big decision for any school board at any time, especially in a district like New Plymouth, in a community like New Plymouth that has been dealing with so much controversy and so much uh, discord mm-hmm. o- over you know, district operations. So transparency is important, under the best of circumstances in New Plymouth. Certainly it's not been the best of circumstances. It's been a tough few months for that community. So we uh, really wanted to to push for transparency. So uh, I, I think we got the outcome that we were hoping for in terms of uh, you know, starting over and uh, kind of pressing the reset button.
1: But yeah, that works for us. Uh, at this point, the issue is resolved. We would have love to have seen it uh, be done right the first time, but hopefully going forward. Uh, people will be paying attention in, in New Plymouth, but also in other districts, and say, "Oh, okay. Here's how we do this. Uh, maybe it could be kind of a teachable moment." And uh, we weren't trying to get anybody in trouble, or we didn't ask for any fines, or to have anybody mm-hmm. removed from the board, or or, or, or or to have a different superintendent. That wasn't it at all. Right. It was, a, you know, pay attention to the process. Let's do this out in the open. Uh, show the taxpayers what we're doing. Uh, and just have that discussion right. And, out and we open. can get back to the business now of covering uh, yep. the
0: district and the new superintendent and see how how things are working for, for students in that community. Yeah,
1: if you want to get caught up, we did have a story uh, mid, middle part of the week talking about New Plymouth. If you want to find out who that superintendent is, David Satotu, uh, and a little bit about the deal that he got uh, and a little bit about the history in New Plymouth, head over to IdahoEdNews.org and you can check that out. I wanted to wrap up. I mean, it is summer. And by the way, we
0: do have a summer photo contest going on on our Facebook page because after all, it's summer and we're all kind of uh, scattering around doing doing summer things and and enjoying the outdoors, enjoying adventures. Uh, Wanted to welcome you back, Clark, and congratulate you and, and, you know, on your adventure, on your achievement last week. Talk a little bit about how you spent your summer vacation because
1: I sure wouldn't spend my summer vacation doing it. <laughs> it I, uh, I took a week off last week and was out in Jackson Hole and spent four days climbing uh, in Grand, Town, Grand Teton National Park. I wrapped it up with a climb up the Grand Teton, and we were successful. One of my oldest friends uh, from back in Kansas City from when I was in high school, uh, he was coming out as part of a larger group to climb the Grand Teton. He reached out to me last December. And, I mean, that's a mountain that I've... Looked at and known and loved. We both right. lived in eastern Idaho and if you Grand Teton
0: elevation, what again?
1: 13,770 feet. So it's okay, that's, more than a thousand feet higher than Bora. Yeah um, But if you live in eastern Idaho, you're familiar with the Tetons uh, And a more moderate hike is the table mountain hike and right. that puts you right at the face uh, of that cathedral group of the Tetons But I was able to climb the Grand Teton over two days uh, with my old friend, Luke, and it was successful and it was a lot of fun. The second day we started in total darkness at like four in the morning, and so the sun was rising in the Tetons and actually the wind was howling and we got snowed on a little bit. But it was awesome to be up there with the sun coming up and it was the hardest thing I've ever done and then we got to do just a thrilling 100 plus foot rappel uh, off the top to get down and and it was just awesome and it was the perfect week off. I didn't have cell phone service or email, uh, and just had a great time climbing. But it was a lot of work, but a lot of fun, and I'm so glad I did it. No, I, I my hat's off to you.
0: That's a that's a great adventure and a great accomplishment. And uh, you know, I like to keep my accomplishments on flat, uh, flat yeah. land. But
1: um, so I got a lot of respect for you picking that on and 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 getting it done. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and enjoyed. Uh, resting a little bit after I got down. But it, it was a lot of fun and awesome being uh, up there, looking over it, one it, shoulder it, and it, seeing Idaho, looking over the other shoulder and seeing Wyoming. It was just unreal. It, it's a beautiful part of the world, and to see it from there, I, I've got to
0: imagine, it's just un, unbelievable and hard to put into words. And So the reason you do this
1: is because it's there. I do it to challenge, <laughs> my, no. I it to challenge myself. I do it because it's it's beautiful up there. It's, it's something that's hard and not many people... Uh, get to experience or do but i also feel like you know i learn a little bit about myself and what i'm capable of and also i love climbing with friends and so the chance to be up in the mountains for two days uh, with an old friend is just awesome surrounded by a glacier and waterfalls and high peaks and uh, it was just awesome so it's the whole whole experience and being up on the summit is an incredibly rewarding moment as is coming down and getting pizza uh (laughs) once you're safely off the mountain But, uh, it's all about the post
0: uh, <laughs> The post food. Yeah,
1: it was awesome. But yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it was a really, really cool experience. And I was so glad to, to do it and get the time off and be successful and come back safe. Uh, and so it was just awesome. Yeah. But uh, I hope everybody else is having an awesome summer. And we would love to see what you've been up to this summer. So please, on our Facebook page, uh, like Idaho Education News and then send us your summer photos. Let us know what you've been up to and post them for a chance to win a cool prize. That's going until early next week, I mm-hmm. believe. Yeah. Uh, at least you can head over to the Facebook page and check and out. And just check out
0: the pictures. I've been kind of scrolling around. It's it's fun to see what people have been up to. A lot of neat photos and, you know, I always find myself looking at them and saying, you know, that looks pretty cool. I may want to do that one of these days. So a lot of... Maybe not this summer, but
1: some summer down the road ideas. So
0: check it out and take part. We'd love to see your pictures.
1: Yeah, a lot of you are having a great summer, and I hope it continues. But as always, thank you so much for listening to the Extra Credit Podcast. We always have a lot of fun here, and hope you do too. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.